Thank you. All right. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Good. You had a good day? It's a beautiful day, right? I know. I wish I was able to enjoy more of it. I was working inside. But God has been good. Amen. So, as we customarily do, we need to do a little bit of review. So what do you remember from this morning? You said what? The potter? Okay, the potter was last night, right? But that's good. I'll take that. The potter. Okay, what do you remember from this morning? You said what? Say it again. The architect from this morning? I appreciate that. If you're going to be wrong, be strong. Say it with your chest. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Everyone must answer four questions. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Yes, sir. Yes. The best argument, the most powerful argument for Christianity is Christians themselves. Yes. Yes, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Okay, someone else? Yes. That's right. People don't pretend to be something unless there's something to be gained. You remember that phrase? You, re- you remember what it was? Hypocrisy pays compliment to virtue. That's right. You need to remember that. People only pretend to be things if there's something to gain. It's true. Did I see another hand that I missed? Yes? That's right. Give people a chance to see what real Christianity is all about. I love it. Yes, someone else. Anything else you remember from this morning? Okay. You guys are ready to move forward. It's been a full day. So tonight, we're going to take a little bit of a transition. We're still dealing with the questions of God. We're going to take a little bit of a transition. This is an interesting question, probably familiar, but it's an interesting question that's probably not going to go the direction that you expected. So with that being said, let us pray. Mighty God, everlasting Father, we are here not to hear the words of a man. We are interested in hearing from God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would use this man who is nothing before you. That your sweet, sweet spirit may fall afresh upon this place moving in every seat, in every mind, and in every heart, impressing the word of God upon the soul. And today, when we hear your voice, may we not harden our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would speak through me, and that you would speak to me, that Jesus may be lifted up, and that all men may be drawn unto him. This is our prayer. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew in the 16th chapter. Matthew in the 16th chapter. We're going to start reading in verse 26. Matthew chapter 16. We'll actually start in verse 25. Matthew chapter 16 in verse 25. Are you there? Can you say amen? Okay, make sure you guys are still awake, still with me. So the Bible says in verse 25, for whosoever will save his life, what's going to happen? What does your Bible say? He will lose it. Okay, so let's finish the verse. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall what? Find it. So this is what we call in English. Does anyone know what we call this? No, juxtaposition is a good reading enrichment word, though. Absolutely. It means to bring two things together. You said what? No, not an oxymoron, right? That's like big shrimp, right? Or little giant. This is what we call a paradox. So why didn't you say it? See? See? Some people think it's cool to be stupid, right? I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm going to do you like my teacher did me. So no, next time say it. It's a paradox. And the Bible and Christ's teachings are filled with these things in heaven to show you the paradoxical nature of the kingdom of heaven compared to this world. And Jesus says in verse 25, whosoever will save his life is actually going to lose it in the end. And the person who's willing to lose his life for Christ's sake, is the one that's going to find it. Now that sounds interesting, but you're probably thinking in your, your, your brain right now, like, okay, what exactly does that mean? And so Jesus follows, his up, follows it up with a question in verse 26, which is our question for meditation tonight. He says, for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world And lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So here in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus says who is the man who whosoever will save his life. What man is that? That's the man who is willing to give his soul in exchange for gaining the whole world. Whosoever. Will save his life is the same individual who is willing to give his soul, lose his soul in order to gain the world. But the one who is willing to lose his soul for Christ's sake is a person who is unwilling to lose his soul in order to gain the whole world. Now, I I need you to understand something about Jesus' statement because as a businessman, this verse has so much practicality. See, the concept of a prophet in business is defined literally this way. The difference between what you gain and what you lose. Or in a financial sense, we say, okay, what you received versus what you spent. So I remember going to the store with my dad and I was a little kid and I really wanted this trench coat because I wanted to be a lawyer when I grew up. 
And so I was like, oh, daddy, like, look at this coat. And I'm like, it's normally very expensive. And my dad's like, man, that thing costs more than your house. I'm like, really? More than our house? Of course, my dad was just saying that, hoping that would discourage me. But of course, I was a little too ambitious. That did not discourage me. So then I'm like, yeah, but it's so nice. And then I flipped over the tag and the tag said 80% off. I'm like, daddy, look, this thing is 80% off. And my dad looked at the tag and said, but it's still $2,000. So I'm like, 80% off? I mean, right now, I probably have a heart attack. I mean, I could never pay $2,000 for a jacket. I probably died before I walked out the store. Because I'm like, this thing better be go, go, gadget, something. Like, I can fly, I can do something. But in my dad's point, he's, he's essentially saying, listen, this is what my dad said to me. He said, son, you need to not focus on what you're saving. You need to focus on what you're spending. So when you go to the store, it's not about whether it's on sale. It's whether what was your maximum willingness to pay? It could be 99% off. But if it's still above your price, it's too expensive. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So in this immediate moment as a child, I, I, I began to go through life when it came time to make a decision, not focused on what I was saving, but what it actually cost me. And Jesus says, I want to ask you a question. And here is God's question. What does a man profit? Which means what does he have left over? If he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul. Jesus' point is, you have suffered a loss. You have endured a negative profit. The question, as we already established from the very first night on Sunday night, is a rhetorical question. What is a man profited if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? What's the answer to the question? What is he profited? It's okay. What is he profited? Nothing. That's exactly right. So when you, when you recognize the underlying point that Jesus is bringing out in the context of talking about what it requires to be a disciple and Peter rebuking him because Jesus said he was going to go to the cross and die. This is the context in which he's asking this question to his disciples to establish a very clear underlying cause for why we trade our righteousness, why we trade our integrity in order to gain. You see, all of a sudden people know the Sabbath is coming. So they're like, oh, the Sabbath is coming in about five minutes, but I think I can just stretch it a little bit. And we want to trample upon the edges of the Sabbath because what are we thinking? This is what I'm going to gain. If I can just knock this out today, tomorrow will be so much smoother. And yet Jesus' question is, what are you profited if you gained five minutes off your cooking time tomorrow in exchange for your soul? All of a sudden, when I sit down and, and debate with people about Christian standards and they say, yeah, but my parents won't let me do this. They won't let me have that, won't let me go there. And I'm like, what are you going to gain? But here's the point. What are you willing to lose in order to get it? So go ahead, go watch what you're going to watch. You see, I remember talking to some young people about movies. And... As we're having this discussion, you know, I, I really love talking to young people because, you know, 
They, they will try to use any and every argument possible to support their position. I mean, they will pull rabbits out of hats. It's like magicians with arguments. And I love it because I grew up debating, so I love to debate, especially the Bible. So as I'm talking to these young people about movies, and we start asking questions back and forth, right? Well, what's wrong with this movie? What's wrong with this? What's wrong with that? I said, that's interesting. So I told them a story. I said, I was preaching in 2009 in Louisville, Kentucky. And as I was walking to go preach that morning, there were seven young people waiting for me in the hallway of the convention center. As I'm walking, they stop me. They say, Brother Sebastian, we, we need your help. We need your help. We need you to pray for our friend. I said, sure. This is six o'clock in the morning on New Year's Day. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know any young people up at 6 a.m. on New Year's unless you stayed up all night, which apparently they did. And let me tell you why. They said, our friend, we were talking and he was basically waiting for his parents to leave so he could watch this new movie that he wanted to watch. It was a horror movie. It's called Paranormal Activity. And I'm going to tell you the name. Normally, I wouldn't tell people the name, but I'm going to tell you the name because when you hear the rest of the story, you understand why you should avoid it. So he started watching the movie. They were bringing in the new year. I was sleeping comfortably in my room because I had to preach at 7 o'clock in the morning. So as I'm there at 6 a.m., they say, last night we were talking to our friend. He was watching Paranormal Activity, and he became demonically possessed while watching the movie. So we called his pastor, and we said, hey, uh, one of your members, he's demonically possessed from watching his film. Can you go over there? The pastor was like, "Nah, I ain't going over there. I'll pray from here. The crazy thing is, some of us fear the devil more than we fear God. Even the pastor wouldn't go there. Which makes you question what's going on in your life. You afraid that the demon's coming to you? That when you step into the devil's presence, he has some real estate in your mind? He's moved in. So because he owns real estate in your mind, that's why you don't trifle with that stuff. Because, you know, deep down in your heart, you're not a real Christian. Because there's a price on your head. The devil knows I can get you to compromise on your principles just at the right price. We were told that the greatest one of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be what? Bought or sold. You know the type of people who are bought or sold? Slaves and prostitutes. The moment you have a price, you've become either a slave or a prostitute. And the devil knows it. But you see, our price isn't money. Our price is popularity. Our price is a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Our price is get on the basketball team or maybe go to this college and play Division I sports. Whatever your price is, the devil knows I can buy you. Because you have a price. And at the very heart of the matter, you are focusing on what you gain, not realizing what you're going to lose in order to get it. So Jesus asked the question, what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So this young man, having watched that movie and thought his parents kept telling him, don't watch this stuff. We don't want you to watch. So now his parents are gone. And now he felt this is my chance. So I'm going to go ahead, 
purchase, rent the movie. I'm going to start watching it at home New Year's Day. And now he is literally under the control of an unclean spirit. He's yelling. He's screaming. On the phone with his friends, they're crying in the convention center. Can get one church member, elder, pastor to go over there and pray for this young man. So this is going on, guess what, until how long? Till I walked into the lobby. The reason why they were in that hallway, because they were charging their phone to keep him on the line. So as I walked, they say, Brother Sebastian, we need you to pray for him. So I come aside with them. I talk to the young man. You can hear that he's obviously under distress. We pray for him. His friends continue to pray for him. And they're crying. They're like, you know, they used to tell us not to watch this stuff. They used to tell us not to mess with this stuff. They used to tell us da 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 And I said, see, is this what it takes? My father used to say to me, son, experience is the best teacher. But a fool learns by no other means. If you got to touch the fire to know that it's hot, you won't have a hand for very long. Sometimes you need to look at somebody else's burns to know that that thing is hot. I don't need to feel it myself. But some of us in this room, we are literally on the edge toying with the flame. Thinking that, well, when I touch it, it'll be a little bit different. When I watch those things, it'll be a little bit different. And the devil's not a fool. He'll let you watch a few things. He'll let you listen to a few things. He'll let you go to a few parties. He'll let you do a couple crazy drugs. And you're like, oh, everything worked out. I ended up fine. Had a couple of things of alcohol, like no big deal. Ate some unclean foods. No big deal. This is how he gets you down the road. I just need you to move onto the enchanted ground. I just need you to be willing to go against your personal convictions. And all for gain. But let's make it even more practical. It's funny when people are Christian and you watch them in a non-Christian environment. And they're struggling to want to actually bow their head and pray. When I was in college, I used to see this all the time. Christians act like they, they had a headache. They start rubbing their forehead like this, but really they're just praying for their food. They just didn't want us to know that's what they were doing. So they get their food, they sit down, they got their little pizza, whatever. Then they just start rubbing their head like this, look down. Amen. Yo, man, you praying over your food? Oh, no, no, I'm just... And they're nervous. Because to, 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 to be a Christian in that environment was a high risk. You might lose your social standing. That's called shame. So because I might lose my social standing or respect or trust or people make assumptions about me, I got to try to avoid this thing. Because I'm focusing on what I'm gaining, not what I'm losing. The crazy thing is about this very question that Jesus is asking. The question is not just to humanity. The question is to every intelligent being. This was the question that Lucifer should have asked himself before he rebelled. Lucifer, you want God's position? You want his influence? You want worship? At what cost to you? So you know what? I'm going to... Cause the world to go into sin. 
I'm going to go ahead and create these false religions so people can ignorantly be worshiping me and they don't even know it just so I can receive worship at what cost to yourself? What are you profiting? In reality, when the devil leads people to be lost, he's just asking for company while he's burning. Because he knows he's going to burn. And not only does he know he's going to burn, the Bible says he knows he has only a short time. So he ain't got much longer, so he's going to have to double his efforts in your life. So the very fact you came to these meetings, you decided to give your life to Jesus, you came up to this altar, that means the devil is waiting for you outside. He's waiting for you in your room. He's waiting for you on the other line of that text message. Because he knows, oh, the moment you decided, oh, I'm going to be a serious Christian. I'm going to be the greatest argument for Christianity. I'm going to surrender my hands into the potter. The devil says, guess what? I'm going to make your life a living hell. I'm going to come in every possible way I can. And it's always the people who knew you when you were wicked who are always reminding you. Isn't that the same girl that used to be sleeping with everybody? Isn't that the same guy that was sleeping with everybody? Isn't that the same person? Because people can't change, right? There's no way that the gospel is true. There's no way that redemption is a real thing. See, what you you and I need to understand is if we reverse the question, what am I losing if I gain my soul and lose the world? What am I losing? So if all of a sudden people look at you and say, yo, man, you're not going to play ball on Sabbath so we could win the state championship. You're losing an opportunity. You could go to the NBA. There'll be scouts there. And you should ask yourself the question, what am I losing if I gain my soul and lose the world? That's why the hymn says, take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. They just call it that, but it's not really one. Take the world and give me Jesus. What are you actually losing? If people think you're weird, what are you actually losing? But see, now I have to take this question to its fullest logical conclusion. Two things. I got seven minutes. So if I recognize that by gaining my soul and losing the world, I'm actually gaining. I'm actually profiting by subtraction, ultimately. If that is true, then this other point now becomes true. Listen to me very carefully. Jesus's point is not that there's anything wrong with gaining the world. That's not his point. His question is, what are you profited if you gain the whole world and you lose your soul in the process? So Jesus's point is, I'm okay with you gaining the world as long as it doesn't cost you your soul. I'm okay if you have great ambitions. I'm okay if you have dreams. I'm okay if you have things that you want to accomplish as a young person. And you better be sure that God created you for greatness. 
Because when humanity was created, we already had the world. He says, I want you to go populate the earth and subdue it. I created the literal whole planet for you. And everyone who's going to be born from you. I already gave you the world. So guess what? Adam and Eve had the world, but guess what else they had? Their soul. So for you and I, Jesus has no problem with a young person that wants to be ambitious. And that's why the question of Ellen White in messages to young people, dear young person, what is the aim of your life? Do you want to be the president of the United States? Do you want to be a legislator and legislate the laws of this great country? Do you want to go to countries currently unentered with the gospel? Do you want to explore the very bounds of science? Then set your aims high. Because there's nothing wrong with gaining the world as long as it doesn't cost you your soul. And somehow we've got a generation of young people refuse to dream. Don't tell me you just want to grow up and become a doctor. Don't just tell me you want to grow up, oh, you know, I might join the ministry. I might get into uh, nursing, whatever. What kind of nurse are you going to be? We know who Florence Nightingale is. But how many other nurses after do we know? Because she decided to do something differently. And when you recognize that if God be for me, who can be against me? If you are on the mission of heaven, who in the world can stop you? Because if you lose the world in the process, you've actually lost nothing. What happened to young people that used to dream? What happened to young people that said, I'm too young to realize certain things are impossible, so I do them anyway? 11-year-old kids are starting businesses that are worth millions of dollars. I just went to a business conference to listen to, they say, oh, it used to be 30 under 30. Now it's 30 under 15. With net worth equaling $1 billion. But let's go to the nonprofit sector. If you're like, well, Sebastian, I'm out about money making. You got young boys and girls who are at the very forefront of environmental management and responsibility. Speaking on major news networks as subject matter experts on the subject. You got young girls and young boys telling you your food should not be genetically engineered. And if you do it, you should tell us. And this 13 year old girl figured out a way to influence the FDA to require every single producer of agriculture to tell you. So don't tell me. That young people cannot do great things. Don't tell me that Jesus says the whole world. The whole world. He has no problem with you wanting to gain the world. His problem is at what cost? But here's the furthest logical conclusion of this statement from Jesus. What is a man profited if he gained the world and lose his soul? Only to find that Jesus found something he was willing to lose his soul for. We said... 
that Jesus is the Lamb of God who bores the sins of what? The world. Jesus bore the sins of the whole world. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus comes down and says, yep, I'm coming to purchase this world back. But Jesus, what is it going to cost you? Your soul. He didn't go through the first death. He went through the second death. Which is why Jesus said, why do you fear him who can destroy your body, but not him who can destroy your body and soul in hell? So when Jesus drank the cup that he didn't want to drink, when he went to Gethsemane, he said, you know what? I may gain nothing, but I'm willing to lose my soul to win these people. I'm willing to suffer the second death in separation from God to gain these people. Because Jesus had found an ambition for his life. He had a holy ambition. He wanted the world to be better because he lived in it. But no, Jesus benefited the world not just by living in it, but by dying. And in his crazy divine mind, that was gain. I'm going to need to make this even plainer for you. A God who is infinite, who needs nothing, who is not a thirsty being, decided in his mind that I'm going to become a human being and I'm going to allow my soul to be destroyed. By the wrath of God, I'm going to drink that cup. And by gaining not the whole world, but only those who believe and accept the salvation that he provides. And he considers that to be gain. Oh, wait. No, no, no. He would have done it even if it were just one person. And your response is, how average can I be? Your response is, what's the minimum I have to do to get into heaven? It's heartbreaking to me that when young people ask questions about biblical standards and teachings and expectations, the questions just never stop. Do I have to do this? Do I have to do that? Why do we have to do this? What's the big deal with this? And I say, you know what it sounds like to me? What you're basically saying is, what's the least I can do and still go to heaven? Somebody, why don't you try that with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Why don't you just go to her, go to him and say, hey, excuse me, Sarah. What's the least I can do to be your boyfriend? I'm not trying to do anything above the minimum. How many of you, of you girls would be excited to date that guy? Then you come in, you're like, hey, you didn't call me last night. Oh, I'm just trying to do the minimum. I thought once a week was sufficient. How do you feel about that? You think that would work? How about you go to a job interview? Hey, I want to go work at Camp in the Soka Pines. Hey, uh, so what are your interests? Hey, what's the least I can do and still get this job? How do you think that would work out? So you get behind the car, you're about to take your driving test. The guy gets in, he says, okay, this is what we're going to do. Blah, blah, blah. You strap in, you say, hey, man, what's your name? 
Jeffrey, hey, Jeffrey, what's the least I can do and still pass? You think he wants to give you a driver's license? He's thinking, go ahead and step out the car because this is over before it even started. If your mindset is what's the least I can do, what's the minimum? But yet this is exactly how we approach our relationship with God. What's the least I can do? I'm not trying to do anything above what is required. When you forget your entire life is built on a God who decided to do more than what was required. I didn't have to die for you. That was not a requirement. I didn't have to give my only begotten son. I didn't have to come down and live and walk in your shoes and be tired. I didn't have to come down and be spat upon and beaten and misunderstood and falsely accused. I didn't have to do it. There was no law. There was no requirement that demanded it. And to know that a being who doesn't even need you. I can create another you. And yet God says, I cannot create another you. That's the crazy thing. The thing is, I can't create another one of these. Too much of a loss. And our response is to be average. But I believe that deep in the heart of every sincere Christian young person is ambition, is a desire for greatness. That's why we like athletes. That's why we like entertainers. That's why we like our favorite preachers or speakers or our favorite pastors. This is why we like our favorite teachers. This is why we like individuals that excel in a field of interest like carpentry or art or music. Because they're great and it seems effortless for them. And yet you sit down and listen to interview after interview after interview and they're like, this is hard work. It may seem effortless to you, but I work hard to be great. And God is calling for that type of greatness. All he's saying is pursue your ambition, dream large, just don't spend your soul to get it. Decide on a boundary. Decide on a value. I will not compromise in order to get it. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't dream at all. That doesn't mean you shouldn't try. That doesn't mean you shouldn't wake up at 4 and 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning and discipline yourself. That doesn't mean that. It just means not at the expense of your own soul. And the great thing is, brothers and sisters, is when you do it. It's when you do it. And you get to the top and you did it with Jesus. When you're there and they say, well, we just want to know what, what inspired you. And now you have a platform and an audience to sit there and tell them. I never would have made it. Without Jesus. And just like that. Millions. Of little boys and little girls looking at you in your greatness begin to recognize something that they might have been missing in their lives. Just like that, 
you became a witness to some other young person to say, you can be great, you can be successful, and you can be godly. Because it's okay to gain the whole world. As long as you don't lose your soul. So this is why I'm wondering, does anybody in here have a holy ambition? Does anybody in here have an actual dream? Something that you aspire to. You have a dream. You have an ambition. So here's the question. Are you willing to make a commitment to two things? The first thing is, I will never compromise my relationship with Jesus to get it. If you're willing to say yes, I want, I want you to raise your right hand. I will never compromise my relationship with Jesus to get it. Now put your hands down. Here's the second part of it. The second thing is, now that I'm secure in Christ, I'm going to dream farther than I thought was possible. And I'm going to, in quoting the spirit of prophecy, spare no pains to get it. Because let me tell you something. People think it's all cool. Say, oh, you've preached in 95 countries. You've done this and done that and been all over the world and they think it's all just glamorous, right? Traveling the world and doing all these different things. Oh, you've been there. You've been to Bali. You've been to Guam. You've been to China. You've been to whatever. This is how they see it. They think because these things are on there, Delta sends you the little plaque. Hey, thank you for being a million miler, two million miler. And they're like, whoa, man, that's awesome. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't know how many times I've been delayed in Amsterdam. You don't know how many times I arrived and people decided that, you know, we should probably let him preach before he eats. You don't know how many times I've stayed up all night after a sermon with 40 people lined up to talk to me until 5 o'clock in the morning. You don't know what it's like to drive to the airport and the moment you get there, your daughter starts crying because she knows you're leaving. To the point... Well, sometimes she won't even look at me. She won't even say, give me a hug goodbye. Because she's upset that I have to go. See, 20 years of that starts to weigh upon you. You start thinking, is what I'm doing, is this even worth it? But see, all people see is the altar calls and the counseling people and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what they see. But there is no individual, including Jesus, who did not achieve a holy ambition and it didn't cost them something. Significant. They paid the price. Because the devil is not going to make it easy. He's going to do everything possible to discourage you, to make you want to quit, to make you think you're out of your mind. And to make you settle for average. For conventional. For the usual. That's what he's going to do. So your second commitment, you already answered the first. I will never compromise my relationship with Christ. But number two, I will spare no pains 
to get it. If that's your desire, I want to invite you to stand to your feet. You say, I'll make those two commitments. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we serve a great God. A God who thought it no loss to give his own soul in exchange for just one of us. If God was willing to give his life to pour out all of heaven and eternity for just one of us, what potential does he see? What possibility does he perceive? And Lord, we're thankful tonight. We're thankful that God is not a God who wants to stifle ambition, but to encourage it. But Lord, you want us to learn to aim high, not just professionally or academically or socially, but spiritually. To never compromise our relationship with you in exchange for greatness, in exchange for attention or followers online or money or position. And Lord, we've stood to our feet to say that we commit to that. And that commitment is only possible to be kept by the power of Christ. As long as we remain yielded to you and in relationship with you. But secondly, Lord, like the prophet of the Lord reminded us. That as a young person, let's think about the aim, not just of the week, not just of the year, not just of college, but the aim of our lives and to aim high. And when we have set our sights, when we have a definite aim to spare no pains to get it. Lord, it requires us to live differently than other people. It requires us to eat differently, to think differently, to approach situations differently, to be more resilient, to fight through more failures than other people. But Father, we believe that the dreams that you've laid upon our hearts, the holy ambitions that burn within us when we achieve them and we did not compromise, the opportunity to testify to your grace and your love to others is beyond measure. And Father, we covet that day. When we can stand on a platform and say, I never would have made it without Jesus. We love you and we thank you for these gifts. And we offer this prayer from our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.